everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of This Is My Bourbon Podcast. I am your host, Perry, and oh my goodness, what a weekend it was. I said weekend weird there, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let it go. <laughs> Thank you all so much for tuning in to this week's episode. We're talking all things uh, bourbon and beyond, y'all. It was, uh, l- let me tell you, this year absolutely exceeded every expectation that I had. Uh, from the past couple of years of Bourbon and Beyond. And, you know, this year, of course, uh, was not plagued by weather like last year was, where they unfortunately had to cancel the event on the second day. But look, Fred talks about this later on uh, in the episode, but I want to kind of reiterate this. You could feel that everybody was going into this weekend with the idea that they wanted to do it bigger and better in the most incredible way that they possibly could have. And they absolutely 100% did. Everything about it was just phenomenal, from the panels to the musicians to just the overall atmosphere. Uh, The new site, too, for the festival, I think, made a world of difference uh, just kind of in how things flowed and the the way that people were able to enjoy not just... Uh, the what was going on, but the overall kind of, you know, it, moving experience. I mean, it, it, it's not always the easiest thing in the world to have to deal with crowds. And I think that uh, the the new site for uh, Bourbon and Beyond really did kind of facilitate a, a better system of travel within the within the festival itself. There was, and uh, we, we're going to touch on this a little bit later on, uh, again with Fred, there was some massive news that dropped from the uh, <laughs> from, from one of the panels. And let me tell you, I still cannot believe that it happened. Uh, th- thinking about the fact that uh, it did happen, it, it, it just blows my mind. And I think that it's going it, to, it, it has turned a lot of people uh, in, in negative favor of a certain family. And, um, you know, I, you, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, if you're anything... Anyway, familiar with the bourbon world, so um, I'm not going to harp on that too much right now. We'll we'll touch on it later on. Um, but again, I just want to say it was so well done to everybody this year. It, it, it could not have gone any better. I don't think. Um, you know, I, I'm I'm saying this from kind of an outsider's perspective in terms of how festivals go, how they're set up, and everything. But it, from from my perspective, things went extremely well. And I'm, uh, I'm looking forward uh, to seeing, you know, as, as always, how things are going to uh, even improve next year. And uh, boy, let me tell you, too, uh, one of my favorite parts of it was the, uh, the access to all the picks that they did uh, for, the, for these three festivals at uh, Fred's Mini Bar. Uh, I'm actually sipping on the, uh, the single barrel Blanton's uh, that was made available there and in Kroger stores. And let me tell you, it is fabulous. It is one of the best uh, Blanton's picks I've had in a long while. It begins with a lot of alcohol up front, but kind of eases into a, a much fruitier, sweeter palate that uh, also was kind of really well coupled by some cinnamon notes uh, and a little bit of brown sugar that I find to be quite enjoyable. It's almost like a uh, like a blueberry pie, I would say, but my goodness. What a, what a fantastic pick. If you can uh, get your hands on any of the picks that Fred did for Bourbon and Beyond, I highly recommend it. So, let's go ahead and jump into the uh, 
into the interviews. There's a lot of them uh, to get through, as there were last week, too, for Hometown Rising. So thank you all so much for sticking with it. Uh, so this week, I, I decided to go a little bit more down the uh, culinary and bourbon road, as opposed to the artist alley. So I think that, um, you know, where last week's episode was a lot more geared towards, you know, the music aspect of everything, uh, everybody who, of course, is more interested in the bourbon and food part of these festivals, uh, you're really going to have a good time listening to, to these interviews. So I'm excited for you to hear them. And without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, the interviews from Bourbon and Beyond 2019. We are kicking off Bourbon and Beyond with neither an artist <laughs> nor a bourbon distiller. This is Chef Justin Sutherland. Justin, how are you, man? I am phenomenal, and I might not be a, an artist or a distiller, but I am a bourbon fanatic, Dude, so you, I think you, this works. You you have that, uh, that like, Gary Clark Jr. vibe about you, though. I have actually already taken three pictures that said, <laughs> oh my gosh, Gary Clark Jr. is here with people. <laughs> Um, I, I just learned. Nah, to, he was here last year. I just learned to go with it, and then I see them post these pictures online, and then their friends are like, "That's not Gary." <laughs> what do you want me to do? What do you Dude, want me to do? That's hilarious, though. I mean, I, I like that, uh, that people have actually picked up on that, though. So, talk a little bit. You, you are uh, doing a, a a little demonstration later. I am uh, with the Preservation Hall Jasper. That's phenomenal. And how, I found, how I, on earth did that come about? I thought they asked to do it with me. I they mean, asked you. It was I got it was insane. So yeah, I got this email and they're like, "You're gonna cook with Preservation Hall band." I was like, "What?" And then she sent me. She's like, "Just so you know, most of the chefs didn't get to be paired with musicians, but they asked specifically to cook food with you." So that uh, raised the bar a little bit. No kidding, dude. So so where do your uh, your 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 culinary skills lie then? I mean, is it more in uh, Creole cooking or I mean, it, it is to a bit. I mean, that's kind of that's what I be, became known for at the beginning. My first restaurant, Handsome Hog, uh, very you know, upscale southern barbecue influences. Uh, my next restaurant, Pearl and Thief, very Louisiana, Gulf Coast southern seafood, oysters, gumbo etouffee. So, those, you know, that's that's where my heart is, but you know, I do everything from that to Italian to Japanese, so How's that kind of uh, uh, shaped the way that you craft a menu or craft a dish uh, now? Because I, I imagine that it, you know, has this, not not just you know in in terms of style or in terms of you know seasoning, but it it has, I'm sure, some kind of you know emotional resonance with the history of Creole cooking too. How has that kind of influenced the way that you've approached? Um, your own style of, of cooking as well. I mean, absolutely. I think when you when you talk about Creole or Southern cooking in general, there's just such deep history behind it, such stories, such you know stories of, of struggle, of oh, necessity. Yeah. And you know, I mean, from from Southern cooking coming over from you know West African slave ships to to the Creole cooking, there's just there's such heart, and we were you know given ingredients that were undesirable, given the right. the, the stuff that you know that the masters didn't want to cook with. <laughs> You know, and, and you know, and those you know, our ancestors took that and turned it into something delicious, and that is now you know a staple on people's plates. So I definitely think about it often. I am I, I'm really am such a fan of, of Creole cooking. I mean, it, yeah. it just there there really is something that resonates with me about that that really kind of you know it, it, it's hard to say that it's broad um, because it's not necessarily, but but it it seems to appeal to so many 
different flavor profiles, right? I, mean, I, I think that the reason that is is because it's engulfed in so much music. Like the Creole cooking is oh, is, sure. is the music of food, and everybody loves everybody loves music of some genre of some kind. <laughs> if you don't like music, you're a fucking sociopath. Yeah, get out of here. <laughs> Go kick a puppy. But, well, that's, that'd be the equivalent of not liking music. And I think that's the equivalent of not liking, you know, Creole food. It just, it, it has soul. It sings yeah. to you. It's, it's the music of food. I've already had a couple glasses of bourbon, and I'm like, God. As have I. <laughs> <laughs> Let's have some right now. Yeah, cheers. dude. So, uh, cheers to you as well. What are we drinking? So, I poured for you uh, the Jim Beam Repeal Batch. Um, 86 proof, non-chill filtered. Okay. Uh, it was one of their limited editions that, that came out over the past couple of years. Uh, so it's got that real nice, like, oily mouthfeel to mm-hmm. it that a lot of Jim Beam products don't yep. because they are chill filtered. It removes all the fatty acids yep. from it and everything. Uh, for 86 proof, I find it to be one of the most deep drinkers mm-hmm. at that proof point. It, it, it amazes me that an 86 proofer has the depth to it right. um, that it does. Without but, having so much of the burn that you can... You know, still enjoy the nuance, so it's it's phenomenal. How do you incorporate bourbon with your cooking as well? Because I mean, as you've said, you're a, you're a big bourbon enthusiast as well. So, I mean, at Handsome Hog as much as possible. I mean, like I said, we we were <laughs> we were named the largest bourbon bourbon selection in the state of Minnesota. We made the uh, the national 100 best bourbon bars. So, as much as possible, we incorporate bourbon, um, and for many reasons. I mean. The, one of the best thing about cooking with bourbon is that there's this natural sweetness that you know really comes forward when you when you burn the alcohol off and reduce it. It doesn't yeah. get bitter like a lot of other alcohols. Oh, you know sure. they get that bitter flavor. So I mean I feel like bourbon was made for cooking, made for food. Um, anything we can sprinkle some bourbon on, we do. I it, in, in as much too, I think that bourbon just seems to be made for pairing with food as well. I, do do you spend a lot of time pairing your your food not just with bourbon but but other drinks as well? Absolutely. I mean, our cocktail program is, is fully bourbon focused. And yeah, just I think finding those little marriages of, you know, of, of other spirits, of other flavors. Yeah. Um, pairing with food, not so much pairing specifically, because I don't like to put those restrictions. Because when, when people hear that this is paired with this, sure. they assume that that's what's supposed to go with that. I don't know yeah. what your tongue tastes like. <laughs> so I'm going to, I'll put five bourbons in front of you and give you a five you course meal and you tell me where, where it tastes good. Yeah. Um, so I'd rather have people experience different bourbons and telling them what they should eat it with. Have you met Peggy No Stevens yet? I have not. I okay. should. You absolutely need to because she is phenomenal with bourbon and food pairings. Okay. And I am, I, I'm speaking to this specifically because. Because uh, for those at home, she is sitting basically right next to us, and we're going to try to. We're going to woo her over uh, here. She's a good friend of the show and everything. She was just inducted into the Bourbon Hall of Fame last night. Wow. Which is pretty fantastic. All right, so, well, let's anyway, get her over here. I want to touch her. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, not not like that. No, no, no. no I got just it. her shoulder. I got it. Yeah, don't want to get canceled. All right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. <laughs> Justin, thank you so much for sitting down with me, man. Where can people go and uh, check out some of your food if they would like to do that? You know, definitely based in the St. Paul, Minneapolis area. Um, got you know seven operating restaurants right now, three more on the way. Um, so yeah, I mean, follow me at, at Chef Justin Sutherland on Instagram, Facebook. Uh, shoot me an email if you're coming to eat. We'll take care of you at info at chefjustinsutherland.com. Uh, I'm definitely very findable and definitely very fond of bourbon. <laughs> I think I might have to make a specific trip up just to check out the restaurant. If you if you do dinners on me, we'll set this podcast up in my kitchen. I'm we'll eat brisket it. and drink bourbon till oh. our you know till our eyes bleed. So oh, let's go. I'm here for it, man. Justin, thank you so much. Buddy. Appreciate it, brother. Thank you. Yeah. 
I am so excited to welcome back to the podcast one of the newest inductees into the Bourbon Hall of Fame, Peggy No Stevens. So glad to be back here. Hi, Peggy. Yeah, you're, you're actually like one of my first few interviews afterwards. This so. is great. Yeah, yeah, so we got a little bit of a scoop here. Uh, I know. That's why I'm, I'm here for you, buddy. Oh, thank you, Peggy. Yeah. What an honor it must be, though. Incredible. Uh, it's, just, it's just crazy. I, it's almost like I have no words. I did give a little speech, you know, and yeah. uh, but I have to tell you one of the highlights uh, yesterday during the reception was Bill Samuels introduced me. Oh. And to have iconic Bill Samuels Jr., uh, you know, talk about you in front right. of all your peers and, and bourbon family, uh, that was almost more thrilling to me than receiving the award. Oh, absolutely, because I'm... It- there's a reason that somebody like Bill would be introducing you. I was very honored, yeah. very honored. Yeah. And it was it was just so surreal for me to have all my friends and family and kind of take that walk down memory lane of all yeah. the things that have evolved, really, in the oh, bourbon absolutely. industry and in my life and my career. And um, and it's it's all good stuff. What what has this kind of allowed you to look back on? I mean, what, what have... Uh, been some of the fond memories that kind of came to the forefront as you were thinking about why the heck you were even being inducted into the Bourbon Hall of Fame. I mean, there's got to be something that that stands out. You know, I I think there are several things. You know, that's the thing about the industry. It's never just one thing, right? It's never one thing with a brand. It's never one thing with people. Uh, So some of the, I guess, highlights for me uh, was the Kentucky Bourbon Trail. Uh, myself and two other women really created the yeah. concept around the, the Kentucky Bourbon Trail, and it was formally recognized yesterday uh, as very innovative, and that means the world to me, watching it where we are today. Uh, I had some of my old co-workers. Uh, I, was, I used to be a visitor center at Woodford Reserve back in 1994, uh, and uh, through, gosh, 1998 or so, maybe. I've, I've lost track, honestly. But um, they, the original, I call them the Woodford Reserve Originals, like Kevin Curtis, Dave Shurick, uh, Lincoln Henderson, who was there in spirit with us. Yes. And uh, we just had tons of fun. So think about how Woodford's evolved, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so that was amazing. Uh, on the culinary front, you know, I was talking culinary and bourbon, you know, 20 years ago and wrote a book yeah. and all of that. So thinking about all of those things that have evolved again. And now look where we are with chefs on the stage talking about Absolutely. bourbon and bourbon and beyond. And uh, so it was all of those little nuggets of things that have blossomed over the year. And so or the years, I should say. Sure. Uh, so I think that's what hit me is that evolution of our industry. And it, it, it's amazing to me, too, that that, that evolution it hasn't really just been since the bourbon boom started. No, absolutely not. No. I mean, that that is something. And, and I think that's a, a topic of conversation that we really have not taken the time to talk about, is that the boom didn't just happen overnight. I mean, it, for, for 20 or 30 years, there were people like you who were helping it grow to that point right right and so you know i it, i think we need to kind of open up that conversation a little bit too about you know how the bourbon boom actually happened it wasn't because of pappy 
<laughs> well, and you know, it's funny. I think you really are onto something as yeah. a new story, possibly, because wrap your head around this one. Uh, in 1994-ish, because uh, I was still at Woodford Reserve, uh-huh. I remember getting tourism reports from the state of Kentucky, and I was very interested in where bourbon sat as far right. as uh, in the tourist mind. Do you know that bourbon didn't even make the top 10 list of things to do in our state? In 1994, horses reigned, uh, and so wrap your head around that. So look at what's happened since that time, and now it's one of the number one attractions of the state. So I mean, we're we're talking 25 years ago. Yeah, now. exactly. And I mean, tw- 25 years really, when you look at it, is a rapid growth period. But at the same time, you know, bourbon has been synonymous with Kentucky for years. We really have. We just, yeah. And, you know, unfortunately, way, way back, I guess, you know, bourbon was truly always important to Kentucky and always 95% of the world's bourbon. You know, that can go without saying. But at the same time, I don't think we marketed ourselves correctly on the tourist activity, the consumer experiences, you know, much like Napa did. Uh, when in the 80s, right. you know, Napa really came into their own in the 80s as far as promotion and come see us and come experience us. And we have finally caught on. Uh, and some of it is, of course, to the mayor's bourbonism effort uh, in Louisville. But all the distilleries invested in infrastructure Absolutely. over the years. And that infrastructure is what's now attracting everyone to come and see and do more. It. it- Kind of, and, and, and it may be that I'm uh, approaching this from an outsider's perspective, but it seems like everybody, regardless of whether or not the KDA, the Kentucky Distillers Association, existed, everybody kind of independently went, we should be promoting this more than we are, right? Am, I, am I off base with that? No, or? not at all. Not at all. I think uh, what... The Kentucky Distillers Association has done, of course, is firmly planted the seeds for the Kentucky Bourbon Trail. But the industry has to do their part. You know, they right. have to uh, make it welcoming, make it uh, interesting, mm-hmm. experiential, uh, have a great tasting experience. So, yeah, I think that happened. But then you look at the what I call the residual effect, like restaurants, hotels, infrastructure to support it. And right. that's what's happening now. Yeah. That's what I see a big growth in. And it, it's expanding. It, it, it's an interesting thing because it's expanding from the inside out as well. You look at the, the craft trail. Yes. There's 20 different distilleries that's on the right. craft trail right now. That's right. That, that is just insane. And, and you go to some place like Limestone Branch. Mm-hmm. Their story is massive. It is. It is a, a huge story right. that they have presented. But it's it, it has an authenticity to it. For sure it has. They know? have such deep roots. They People do. overlook that, mm-hmm. but they truly, with the Dan family and everything, they have yeah. such deep roots. Absolutely. But but my, my point is just that, you know, there, there's so much more to it than just the bourbon trail, the big name distilleries, makers, art. Right. Woodford, Wild Turkey, you know, whatever. Um, that I think it, it, it is really, if you kind of take that deep dive into it, mm-hmm. you know, it becomes more and more evident that the 
bourbon is not going away anytime well, soon. Well, you know, you know what's really fun for me to see is, you know, if you went back to the 1800s in Kentucky, yes. there were probably uh, close to 1,200, 1,500 distilleries, right. technically speaking. Right. But that included mom and pop farms mm-hmm. and all of those types of things, not just the big boys. Right. Uh, because that was a way of life. Mm-hmm. You, you made your own juice, you know. Right. But fast forward... And what's happening, you know, brands like Peerless are digging back oh, yeah. to their roots Absolutely. of what once was and reviving these labels. Uh, and I think Limestone really did the same thing, you know. Uh, so you think about that. And so I'm so fascinated when they say this was an original label and now we're bringing it back again. And it, they could keep their DSP number. <laughs> That's yeah, really right, something. Right, yeah. Right, yeah. yeah. Oh, man, that's a rabbit hole we could really mm-hmm. go down. <laughs> mm-hmm. For sure. <laughs> At some point. How did the symposium go? Oh, the Bourbon Women's Symposium yes. was absolutely our best year. This is our sixth year Great. doing it. We had almost 300 women for an entire weekend from 28 different states, if you can believe it. And they were all here to learn and laugh and share. And so the highlight, Warms we, my heart. well, and you know, what was so funny is we just got back like all of our evaluations and what they thought of it. And it was just overwhelmingly positive. Uh, and one of the highlights I have to say was having Fawn Weaver be our keynote oh speaker gosh. from Uncle Nearest uh, Distillery. And she was so dynamic and her story is so rich and the women were in awe. And then Lux Rowe, uh, boy, they had us uh, on a private distillery dinner picture a beautiful white tent on their landscape they entertained the women Uh, we had a beautiful Kentucky cuisine buffet Uh, we had workshops the next day and Heather Green came in to do a workshop a blending workshop we had Brooks Grain doing a grain workshop it was so power packed with uh, stars that could educate these women and give them what they want because they're so curious and we and also i have to say this was the first year that we did a commemorative bottle uh yes we did a private barrel selection with uncle nearest and susan riegler and myself uh fawn weaver sherry moore uh from uncle nearest as well we handpicked a barrel uh, during you know the conference and shared it and it was it was wildly accepted. So uh, Chad and Sarah wound up with, with a they were there. I uh, saw them. It's Bourbon Night and I uh, I tried it. I think the day after. Oh, you did. What do you think? I, loved it. I hope it was so. So good, wasn't it? it just unbelievable. So, so here, I, I, I am nothing if not honest. Um, it took a couple sips. Sure. It's got to open. It, re- it, it really you, did have to that open. Is a, that is a whiskey that has to open. And it, it, it took my palate a little bit of time to get used to. Yeah. But once it did, absolutely phenomenal. Good, beer. good. I mean, one of the best things I think I've had from Uncle Nearest. Oh, wonderful. So, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. 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 So more good things to come from them. We're going to have uh, Fawn on the show later on. Uh, oh, good. Too. Well, you so, know, I'm... I, uh, actually was in Shelbyville just last week and the weekend before because they had their grand opening. That's right, yeah. Yeah, and so their uh, preview party, which was spectacular, they had almost 2,000 people, I would say. Fireworks, uh, you know, food, band, everything. It It was spectacular. And then they had their formal opening to the public uh, and it was sold out on the first day. It was that's completely amazing. sold out. Gosh, that's amazing. 
Yeah, so we're real proud of that. Yet another testament to the bourbon women. Absolutely. <laughs> of Absolutely. Peggy, congratulations to you. Thank you. On your induction. Thank the you. Hall of Fame. Thank you so much for coming back. We'll get you on again soon. Absolutely. I yeah. Anytime you say. Anytime you say. We'll make it to. happen. All right, honey. Take Thank care. You, Bye. I am very, very fortunate now to be sitting down with Danny Kahn, the master distiller at the Barton Distillery. Danny, thank you so much for sitting down with me. This is a real treat. It's a treat for me, too. <laughs> we, we happen to be here, so this is a great opportunity. Absolutely. So so you guys, we'll, we'll start out with uh, I would what I would call the big 1792 news right now, and that's the release of the 12-year-old. Um, talk a little bit about the development behind that product, how that came to be. Well, first of all, it's incredible. Um, I'll, 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 I'll temper it a little bit by saying that there's not as much available as um, maybe everybody would have liked. Uh, but well, all right. Yeah. <laughs> but we, we, we make, um, uh, hopefully people are familiar with our bourbon. It's incredible bourbon. It's a high Absolutely. rye bourbon. Um, and it's got some unique flavor characteristics. Um, we've got a phenomenal facility at the Barton 1792 Distillery. Yes. Um, um, the still is old school. It's classic. It's um, 1960s. Um, a, a rectifying column or section was added um, later that gave us incredible tools to make really wonderful uh, bourbon. So, um, so yes, this has been in the making for um, 12 years. Now, I, I don't get to take any credit for a distillation of this. <laughs> I've been on board now for about 14 months. Um, I will um, uh, make some claim that I um, helped with the final blend. And we could have gotten a little bit more volume out of it, but I was really happy with the flavor that we got. The yields were a little lower than we expected, but the flavor was spot on. And um, I wish everybody could try it. It's really special. I think that's what's most important, though, is that it, it's a good quality product, right? I mean, it, word will travel uh, it, it, if the end product is you know, up to, uh, up to the, the conversation. And it, if that's the case, I think that you made the right choice as opposed to, you know, jumping in blind or jumping in saying we'd rather, you know, spread it out a whole bunch. And, and by actually, you know, having a product come out that you're proud of, I think that's a much better indication of, you know, what you want to represent from the distillery, too. As in, in, in the past 14 months, then, um, what have been some of the things that you have talked about doing with the future of 1792 with the Barton Distillery? Are, are, are you looking to kind of innovate a little bit the way that the distillery has been operating, or are, are you kind of hoping to just chug along a little bit? I think there's a couple ways to answer that. Um, my goal by no stretch is to change 1792. What I can tell you, though, as a process guy who has worked making alcoholic beverages for a long time, there are um, there is variation in our process. Sure. So one of my uh, primary objectives has been to make our product always in the best possible way. 
So if I'm in a routine tasting and I taste one that's just absolutely a honey barrel, it's outstanding, mm -hmm. and then I taste another batch of distillate that is good but not quite as good, it becomes our objective to get into the process and learn why one might taste better than the other and set that as our standard so that we're always making sure. the best possible juice. I can control the grain, the mashing, the fermentation, the distillation, Controlling how it ages in the barrel <laughs> is kind of a handoff. That, that, that's up to nature. <laughs> so I, I am absolutely not trying to change what we do, but trying to make our bourbon the best possible way. Now, when it comes to innovation, um, one thing I love about working for this company is that, um, you know, I was told by our chief, not only am I encouraged to um, innovate and experiment, but it's expected. So, wow. so okay. you know, sadly, I cannot talk about sure. a bunch of the experimentation yeah. that's going on. But um, what I love about my job is that I get to make things that are, they make people happy. Um, I can impact the flavor. Um, I have a good understanding and knowledge of grain and fermentation, and I have ideas that are beyond what I'm capable of doing. So yes, there are huge opportunities. There's some really neat things going on, and I can just tell you to keep your eyes open. Sorry for being no, so vague. No, 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 no. I, I, I understand. I mean, that that's kind of part of the game right now is that you've got to keep things really close to the chest with uh, in terms of what you're what you're doing. So. So I, I love what I do. Uh, I, I've been passionate about making, you know, before bourbon, I made beer for a long time. Okay. And, and, and beer wants to be bourbon when it grows up. <laughs> um, since it's a bourbon podcast, I'll share my other favorite expression, but um, beer is for quitters. <laughs> and and I'll, I'll explain that. I need to introduce you to my friend Chad because he feels the exact same way. So, so if, anyway. you, if you um, just did another step and waited a few more years, you could turn into bourbon. But... Um, but that's what I get to do. I'm fortunate that I make a product that I get to taste. And when I taste a variation in our process, and I understand yeah. why, I get to share it with my staff and say, this is why this is important. This is why we have to watch the flow rate or the temperature on this particular device. So, um, and those are the fun things. Learning um, those details are, are, are what it makes us make a great bourbon. There, there's a lot of, I imagine trial and error in that too and i you know yes you are the master distiller so there's a point where the trial and error is just kind of <laughs> maybe less so over and more like a thing of the past for you too so what was it about distilling beer that taught you the value of making bourbon and how did that kind of shape your understanding of why bourbon is how bourbon is made and, and why it is worth the the wait for it yeah absolutely well first of all i've been um maybe not collecting but drinking and a fan of bourbon for about 25 years so i've um i've got a good base but if you think about it um you know bourbon starts with grain we create flavors with the grain how is it grown what varieties we use it how are we selecting the grains? The quality has to be there. We have to select the right grains. Then we mill the grain. That's, you do that in brewing. And how you mill it determines um, particle size and how much interaction you get with water and temperature. And then you cook it, which is where enzymes convert starch into sugar. Right. And um, then you ferment it. 
that's all the same in the beer world. And what you're doing is you're creating flavors. Then in the still, you don't really create flavor as much as you separate and pick and choose. So based on, now you do create some flavor because you heat up the beer before sure. it goes into the still. Right. If you heat it up too much, there's problems. If you don't heat it up enough, there's problems. But then how you, you know, set your vent condensers and how you run the still allows you to separate and accentuate more of the flavors that you have created in the early part of the process. Right. So, so um, I sort of lost your original question, but there, <laughs> there's an art and a science, and it's really important to understand the science to know this particular compound comes from this process. And by understanding that, you can then use your artistic abilities to create flavors. So it really needs to be both. So one, you can't have one without the other. You can. Somebody asked me a great question once. Am I an artistic scientist or a scientific artist? <laughs> and your response was? I, I actually thought about it. I think I'm an artistic scientist. I think that's, I think that's uh, something that is a little bit consistent throughout the, the, the bourbon industry. Yeah. Um, Danny, thank you so much for sitting down with me. For, it's been a real pleasure. I'd love to sit down with you for a longer period of time. I know that these interviews uh, can only go for so long. But, I, enjoy, uh, I enjoy talking to you. Yeah, I'd love come, uh, to come up to the distillery. Welcome anytime. Awesome. Fantastic. Danny, thank you so thank much. Thank you. Buddy. Cheers. Appreciate it. Now we're recording for real. All right. For Very real. Cool. <laughs> Tater well, All right. One last one. <laughs> All right. There we go. <laughs> and that's just for the Patreon community. Oh, my God. Um, yeah. <laughs> Chefs. Chefs Shane and Matt, rather. This is what you've done to me. You have officially scrambled my brain. Completely. <laughs> After that 10-minute conversation. They have, like, the four-second, like, edit that you can, like, press the button yeah. to... All of you uh, people that listen to This Is My Bourbon, you missed the best part. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe. Maybe this part's better. Yeah, we're going yeah. yeah. to take gonna a deep movie. dive into it. Guys, thanks so much for sitting down. Thank you for having thanks me. Thanks for us. I was able to uh, check out a little bit of uh, the, the demonstration that you guys did awesome. earlier. thank you. And I have been doing nothing but craving pork belly every moment since then. Well, yeah. who doesn't crave pork belly? I look at it every day. Yeah. My oh, wow, nice. Ooh. <laughs> That's a nice little reference. Yeah. <laughs> it's Where's great when, you, somebody, when you're doing a demo, you can just show people the cuts of pork on your shoulder, I was going to say, so, somebody's like, hey, what are the cuts of pork? It's and you're Shane's like, well, let me show sheet. you on the arm. <laughs> when he's, when yeah. he's at a bourbon festival and it's consumed too many, he's like, wait a minute, where's the pork belly come from? I got it on my forearm. That's let right. me look. Hang on. It comes from right Oh, there it is. So we had a, an interesting little conversation beforehand that was supposed to kind of be about barbecue uh, in the yeah, South. Yeah, I don't think we, we talked, talked about, about any barbecue. barbecue person. We did. Yeah, indeed. that might be the only barbecue thing that was talked about was the person. <laughs> yeah. But no so, barbecue was spoken of. So what is it about barbecue that kind of attracts you guys to making so, food? Barbecue to me, when I first got into it, I, I started cooking barbecue for myself. Because um, I live in New York City, and when I first moved to New York City, there was zero barbecue. Yeah. There was maybe two places that you could get edible barbecue, let's call it. And <laughs> I just started making it my own. And, and I kind of grew up, my uncle was a chef slash drug dealer. Um, <laughs> and he kind of taught me how to start making barbecue. 
what, and, what kind of drugs? Uh, no, 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 we're not going there. We're not going there. We're not going to die. We're not going to, we're not, you don't, 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 don't be me. Um, so, low hanging in my fruit. home, in my hometown, there was two barbecue places, uh, Tom's and Bluefront, and they both made similar kind of, I, I hate to call it Florida barbecue, but it was, that's what it was. And I grew up kind of emulating that barbecue and I st and I started cooking in New York City or in in the backyard making my own barbecue and I started doing competitive barbecue with uh, one of my best friends this guy Damon Wise um, he was the corporate chef for Tom Clickio mm -hmm. uh, craft yeah. company that's where all my teammates from Ridiculous came from yeah um when I first started meeting these guys in barbecue, and it was, it was like, you know, I reached out to them via Facebook. This is, you know, 15 years ago. And I was like, hey, I'm so and so. And for me, it was like. It's when it was the Facebook. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it was kind of like when you're in the restaurant business, you do this these things called stages, and you go work in kitchens for free, and you, you're okay. learning, right? So I was like, I would love to stage with you to learn about barbecue and they, they were all like are you serious i'm like yeah i'll i want to learn from you you're the best this is how it operates in the restaurant business so from the very beginning it was all about family right Bar the barbecue family is amazing they're the most welcoming people they love as much as you can talk shit about each other they love to teach what they do yeah and being a chef from you know, I, I'm from the polar opposite of cooking from what they do. Like, I, I've worked in four-star kitchens in New York City and worked in France and blah, 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 blah. Sure. So they, a lot of these guys want to do what, what Matt and I did. They want to be chefs. But they, are, you know, they grew up in the barbecue world or they, you know, they got into it. So they want to learn how to cook at the level of what Matt and I did previously. So yeah. it was a very symbiotic relationship. Um and, you know, there's a couple of guys. Chris Lilly is one of them. Uh, he's like a god yeah. of barbecue. Yeah. He's kind of my barbecue dad. And there's another guy, John uh, John David Wheeler. Same thing. God of barbecue. Barbecue dad. And it, it there's a thing in New York City. Well, there used to be a thing called the Big Apple Block Party. And I started cooking with those guys there. And then you meet the family. And it's like... The only time ever in New York City where you can get completely smash hammered on Madison Avenue and cook barbecue at the same time. Yeah. Because <laughs> they used to just close, close it down for this festival. And it was like the family. There's, you know, Matt will attest to this. There's a team called U-Bonds that is like amazing. And as Gary uh, was the the patriarch and he was like the kindest gentlest person ever um he passed away recently and 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 to go to our family pig beach our chef at pig beach um jeff mcner is matt's brother-in-law he passed away tragically and was a young guy and we reached out to all the, I'm getting goosebumps, I might cry here. We got, you know, we reached out to all these guys, these big, giant, famous barbecue guys about doing a benefit with Jeff 
for Jeff, and there was no hesitation. I mean, we had the biggest barbecue guys in the world came to Pig Beach and cooked with us, and it's it was all family, and it was an amazing event, and we raised money for for Jeff's widow, and you know, it's that to me is what barbecue is all about. It's really the family, and and being with these people you know everybody talks shit like there's a whole culture of barbecue shit talking because you're competing against these people but the family is what's the most important part yeah sorry i just talked forever no 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 no. it 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 really kind of brought up something that i hadn't really considered before and that's the family aspect of the chef community oh it's one big giant community it's incestual I'm bringing it back. I mean, I'm it, coming in dirty. Put coming it, in dirty. Put it, yeah. put it however you want. But <laughs> I, so we are so ingrained in the bourbon world, and bourbon is it, it at its core is a huge community of like-minded drinkers. One hundred percent. And we all come together because there is something that we love that we're able to share in, and. It's strange that I haven't kind of taken the time to step back and think about cooking in the same. It's exactly the same. It absolutely yeah, is. Yeah, and and to hear that there is something that is that significant that has touched lives in that way, that is magnificent yeah. to me. Yeah. Well, one of the great things I think you can consider with barbecue too is that the nature of it feeds a lot of people. Like if you're gonna make a pork shoulder. A pork shoulder feeds yeah. 10 to 12 people yeah. easily, maybe even more. And for me growing up, I'm half Italian and half Lebanese, and food was always the focus of my family. And food was what brought people wow. together. <laughs> so what yeah. better way than bringing people together than with these giant roasts of meat, whether it be a pork shoulder for pulled pork or a brisket for just good old salt pepper brisket, Texas yeah. style. Yeah. And you have all this giant volumes of meat and you can't consume it with just one or two people you got to invite the friends the families and the loved ones over to eat it and share in it and it becomes an experience so for me Shane's like understating his culinary pedigree he's I call him the super chef because to me he's one of the most talented and accoladed chefs that's out in the market he has worked uh, as Keith now he's corporate chef with the famous restaurant Balthazar in New York City and all the other subsidiary restaurants from that Mm -hmm. and has a French background that is pretty epic I went the Italian route my last job that I had prior to leaving to open up Pig Beach Barbecue in Gowanus, Brooklyn, was I worked at Mario Batali's four-star restaurant, Del Posto, as a chef's cuisine. <laughs> All right. And uh, the way yeah. I got into four barbecue... Four stars under him, by the way. He got yeah. the four stars. Yeah. yeah. Really? Well, I, I was part of a team. There's many of us, but <laughs> yes, I was... No, no, no. We, you can <laughs> be honest here. You can yeah. be straightforward. Well, thank you. But uh, it, was, it was kind of ironic, the way that I got into barbecue... I took a random barbecue trip to Austin, Texas with our current business partner, one of my very dear friends, Robert C. Shogger, who uh, came along to this trip to Austin, Texas. We were, we were just looking to do something, uh, to do some research on American barbecue and correlations with Italian barbecue. And I met this guy, Rob. We ended up becoming really, really good friends, and he would invite me out to his home in the Hamptons to do some barbecues on the weekend because he was really into it. Yeah. And uh, it turned out that it became like a little bit of this itch and he continued to invite me out to his home on the weekend. At the time I was single, I wasn't married, didn't have a kid. So I was like, hell yeah, I'll go out to the Hamptons and barbecue. Yeah, and, have barbecue and, every and weekend. And like eat and drink like a king. Yeah, I'm into that. So we started doing that. That's and actually never stopped. We it still hasn't go stopped. Out there and yeah. That's amazing. Him. But the more we kept doing it, the more we 
felt confident about it. So Rob is good friends with both Shane and I, and the funny part was is that he would start entering us into these local barbecue competitions. And when you're bringing somebody of Shane's accolade or my culinary background into a barbecue circuit, it's kind of like bringing a bazooka to a knife fight. Now, that being said, I didn't grow up with barbecue. I'm from a very small town in upstate New York where I cooked Italian food for pretty much the entirety of my career. But once you understand certain fundamentals and about how cooking philosophies are and seasoning and balance all its other sort of stuff, it just ends up becoming this low and slow cooking method with the addition of smoke as flavor and you can pick it up pretty quickly. So we ended up entering ourselves into local competitions. We started winning those competitions and then it brought us to entering into Memphis in May, the World Series of Barbecue, where my first year down there we won second place whole hog, first place in poultry, and our good friend Rob was like, we're pretty good at this. We should do something with this. Would you be open to doing this as a pop-up and see where it leads. Nice. So we did it as a pop-up for a summer in 2015, and uh, people loved it, and we had some great success, and we came back, and I eventually left El Posto to pursue this career in barbecue, and it's been really yeah. great ever since. Now, go ahead. Now, how did you guys kind of link together? Was it those kind of, uh, Well, you know, I, I had question? always known of Super Chef Shane McBride because he was Super Chef Shane McBride. Sure, he of was course. the, you know, the big name in the city, and he's like, being ridiculous, but he was. Shane was a very big name. It still is a very big name in the city. Yeah. And it's funny, when you go out with him at some point in time, he's like, yep, that guy worked for me. Yep, that guy worked for me. Yep, <laughs> that guy worked for me. It's pretty epic. But we prom- probably now got... Now I work for Matt. Stop. It's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> it's ridiculous. But uh, we... I feel like we all need to go out in Lexington together. Yeah, yeah absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. 1,000%. But uh, we, we've known each other for a little bit for a little while now, and then Rob kind of really brought us together to sort of cement the relationship and the bond of us working hand-in-hand to operate and run the restaurants. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, we you're totally to... fine, man. I, uh, can't even, I can't even remember what I was going to ask at this point. Really? Yeah. That's good. <laughs> All you're thinking about is taters. Yeah. potatoes. Taters. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well then, yeah, let's ask that question. What's your favorite side dish to make a barbecue? <laughs> Fav- uh, my, I mean, uh, oh, that's it's great. macaroni and cheese. At some point, I think we're going to talk about pork belly, I'm sure, but <laughs> this is fantastic. Macaroni and cheese is the, the go-to. I mean, you go to a barbecue restaurant, you want to eat macaroni and cheese. Right? I agree. Yeah. yeah. See, I, it, it, for me, I like them all. I, I, you know, I, I know that barbecue is supposed to be about the meat, and the meat is supposed to be the thing you're supposed to get. But I'm always down to try the pickles. I'm always down to try the, the coleslaw. The green beans. I'm always down to try. No, I'm not much of a green not bean much guy. Of a green bean guy. Here's okay. the thing: like the green beans that are typically served are out, out of a can. can. Oh, okay. I'm, Ooh, yeah. if, if somebody had like fresh in-season green beans, and but here's part of the, probably perhaps where the snobby chef part of me kind of pops yeah. out. Can stuff not, is a little. I'm not into the I'm green still bean a thing. Not candy. But yeah. But a good yeah. collard green. It, like will will win me over like that every guy, time. That guy Kerry that we were talking about, Peg yes. Leg Porker. Yes. He calls himself the you know. There's always the farm to table chef. Oh yeah. Uh-huh. He's the can to table chef. Uh, and okay. he he proudly, and he's super famous and successful. He proudly <laughs> says it's a fantastic restaurant. His stuff is incredible. Yeah. His, and his. We're talking about. I'm assuming we'll talk about bourbon at some point. His 12-year-old bourbon is Even if we quite, don't, it's quite good. <laughs> <laughs> I really enjoy his 12-year-old bourbon. It's Look, very good. I, I, I spend a lot of time at these festivals talking to artists and you know whomever not about bourbon. But yeah, you know. in relation to bourbon, though, like, what's your guys' kind of experience with bourbon and and relationship with bourbon? Do you, have you guys gotten into it much? Or well, I think Shane has. If Shane, I, I, yeah. I, I, well, I got into some last night for sure. Yeah, yeah. I. I am a, oh, God, 
a long time bourbon drinker. Before you're supposed to start drinking, I was drinking Jim Beam. Yeah. Um, me and Jimmy go way back. I understand that way one. Back. Me and Wild Turkey go way back too. Yeah, okay. <laughs> My high school years were fueled by yeah. Jim Beam. Yeah. Um, so I've always been a bourbon drinker. Um, I was the guy in high school that drank bourbon on the rocks. Like I didn't drink it with Coke. Yeah. Um, Crazy. Okay. I yeah, collect. Well I collect bourbon. <laughs> I, I have. Yeah, your collection's pretty epic. I have a storage room full of books and bourbon because I don't have anywhere to keep it anymore. Yeah, I was going to invite you over to my house to share some bourbon, but I have a feeling that my collection's going to pale in No, 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 man. I'll drink your bourbon. <laughs> It'll be all right. Yeah, I'll be fine. I'll Got be some fine. taters over there. He's yeah. going to be great. It's going to be great. No, I, mean, I love bourbon. I really do. I yeah. love bourbon. Um, I was, when I left the Balthazar group, um, I... My friend Sean Josephs, I don't know if you guys know him, he's one of the owners of Pinhook. Oh, okay. Oh, you were talking about him earlier. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I helped. I was with them. They have. They used to have a restaurant called Maysville, which is a very important town in bourbon yes. mm -hmm. history. Mm -hmm. um, and it was a bourbon bar. And uh, honestly, I, I'm, a, I'm a wine drinker daily. That's, like, that's my beverage of choice. I'm a red wine drinker. I've collected red wine over the years, and... Um, my red wine collection actually helped me fund my divorce <laughs> back in the day. Um, so bourbon, <laughs> bourbon has always been something I've I've collected, but I stopped because it was one of those things where you got so much that can't, you just can't house you can't it have somewhere. Anymore. Yeah. So, and then working with Sean at Maysville reignited my. And I'm an all-in guy. Like, you, yeah. you give me something I'm going to be able to collect, I'm going to fucking collect it. Yeah. And I got back into it whole hog, and I have so much fucking bourbon now, it's gross. <laughs> Some people classify that as hoarding, but, yeah, I, no, yeah, I hoard bourbon. It's right, it's right on the borderline we bought, We've that. already bought stuff since we've been here, so. Good. Yeah. Good for you guys, though. Yeah. <laughs> bourbon, bourbon has, has been a part of my life for a very long time. There, there's something about the craft of bourbon that I think kind of inspires people too. That Absolutely. you know, it, it takes time to produce a quality product. Has there been a way that bourbon's kind of inspired you as a chef? Then, um, whether it even be you know incorporating it into dishes, um, yeah, or, or making it. I mean, I've own. cooked with bourbon for years. Um, in Sometimes my, you even put it in the dish. I, I, I was gonna say part of my kind of. I, let's call it growth in barbecue. Um, was about experimenting, making sauces and rubs and stuff mm -hmm. like that. And I've had several different barbecue sauces that were bourbon-based. Yeah. Um, so absolutely, it's been part of my, you know, culinary kind of upbringing. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think for for me, like the, what the really great thing to see, especially being here with all these incredible distillers doing what they do. And to see sort of that craft and the family and the passion that goes into it, there's very, very many similarities to doing great food or doing barbecue and having that sort of 
craft at it and that passion to make that small thing that you do make it as best as you possibly can. And then along with it, there's some really awesome fun backstory or family lineage or something that goes hand in hand with it. So I think there's many correlations between crafting great barbecue and crafting great bourbon. So mm -hmm. for me, they go really hand in hand in that sort of sense. Yeah. We, we, we did a dinner at Pig Beach last winter with Knob Creek and Fred No came. And I was like, a giddy little kid. <laughs> <laughs> that was when they were throwing flamethrowers in the barrels and everything, yeah, right? Yeah, they, no way. They, that was pretty cool. They brought yeah. some guys from the American Barrel and they charred some yeah. barrels at the backyard, Pig Beach. And I was like, they had just released that, the Knob Creek nine year old rye, mm -hmm. which I think is awesome. Yeah. And I brought like three bottles and Fred signed them all and I was like, I was like a teenage like, girl. Yes. I would have done the same thing. We'll let you know next time we have one of those. We'd love to have you guys come oh, up. Yeah, be our guests. We're actually working on We're working with Knob Creek now to do another dinner. So. so you guys are located all the way up in New York. Um, we would love to come up there sometime. Yeah, please. Come on up. Bring bring the mics. We can do a whole podcast oh, we will from, yeah, definitely from the restaurant. Yeah. We'd have next, a lot of fun with that. Next time it happens, we are totally there. Fantastic. We'll, yeah. we'll bring the bourbon. You bring the meat. We can do that. We got some pretty good bourbon at the restaurant. I've I've been trying to get some good yeah, bourbon well, in there. Uh, so. Yeah. Just come on, bring, your, bring yourselves, bring the mics, and uh, it's all an empty synergy. belly. You'll be ready to eat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm ready. I'm, I'm hungry right now. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Shane and Matt, thank you all so much. Thank you so thank much you. for having us. This, 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 this was fun. Thanks. Thank you guys. So, Connor O'Driscoll, the newest Heaven Hill Master Distiller. This is a real treat. Well, thank I'm, you. I'm happy to finally get to sit down with you and, and talk about not just Heaven Hill, but all the things that you have kind of brought to the table um, as a distiller for many, many years. Yeah, 15 so, years now, 15 plus years. So what was it about Heaven Hill that attracted you to this position? What made you want to make that move? Um, well, I, you know, they, when I was at Angel's Envy, I had no plans of leaving. And they called and we talked. Actually, when they called, I initially turned it down because maybe I'm not that smart. Um, <laughs> but after I hung up, I was like, ooh, wrong answer. And I went home and told my wife what had happened. And she was like, ooh, wrong answer. Wrong answer. <laughs> maybe you should have thought about that. Yeah. But luckily for me, they called back. And um, kind of the way I summarized it was my office at uh, Angel's Envy overlooked Louisville Slugger Field, the AAA team. And uh, depending on your baseball affiliation, it's like you're pitching AAA and the New York Yankees right. or the Red Sox or whoever it might be, call, and you don't say no to the New York Yankees, <laughs> even though I did. So, uh, well, yeah, luckily they gave me two, two swings. So. <laughs> Didn't have to strike out. We're all good. Exactly. And you hit yeah. for the fences on that second one. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So what's it been like kind of easing into that position? Because I, I know that it's, you know, you took over from Denny Potter. That's right who had big shoes to fill as well um, after Parker passed away. That's right. And so, you know, there, there is that legacy that has kind of trailed you um, on your way into the seat. Mm -hmm. What's that been like for you? Have you been kind of hesitant about, you know, whether or not you're filling those shoes in the, in the breakaway? Um, well, it's, you know, alternately exhilarating slash terrifying. Um, but, uh, you know, recognizing that I stand absolutely on the shoulders of giants, you know, I'm the, 
technically the seventh master distiller in Heaven Hills history, the fifth in the Shapira era. Um, and, you know, all the luminaries that have gone before me, obviously uh, the, the biggest, brightest of those is Parker himself. Yes. Um, so my first thought when I walked through the door the first day was like, don't screw anything up. Um, and you kind of hit the you nail on the head. You haven't yet. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> Not that anyone knows. Um, but you hit the nail on the head when you said, ease in. Like, sure. Come in, get the rhythm of the place, understand who the players are, how it works, uh, you know, how to come from. Like Woodford's a small distillery, uh, HW's a medium distillery, Brown Foreman distillery is a larger one, but this is the biggest one. Yeah. By, and by orders of magnitude. So um, it's technically the same process, but when you do have those multipliers, it's like, all right, I gotta get the lay of the land here. And, uh, so it's just been been easing in at first, uh, both to the production side and then to, you know, kind of this side of it, the the, the face of the brands. What's that been like for you? Really, really fun. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, that's good to hear, but yeah. I mean, that, that's kind of been a shift in uh, in dynamic for you, though. Where you've just uh, kind has. of so at, at Woodford, I did a lot of um, you know VIP tours. Nothing on this scale, uh, but that, <laughs> those interactions with the public are they're fun. Uh, they're you know I tell people that we can make it all day long, but it doesn't matter down until you buy it, you drink it, you enjoy it. Right. So to have that connection with the consumer and to see you know your passion reflected in them, that they're yeah. they're kind of hanging on your every word to really understand where the whiskey comes from, what makes it special. I mean that's that's just fun. In in the same vein though, you are at, a, at an interesting point I think to take the Heaven Hill brand, which is already of course well established. That's right. Everybody knows it. It's a world-renowned whiskey-making company. But you are given this opportunity to push it in a new direction. Mm -hmm. So what what are you trying to do at Heaven Hill that differentiates you from Parker, from, from Denny? Well, I would yeah. say we're taking it in a... Or I'm, I'm not planning on taking it in a new direction. Sure. I'm planning on continuing the arc. Um, there's always been a drive for consistency, quality, premium, all those, all those, you know, those words. Um, yeah, the whiskies we make have oftentimes been very value priced, but they're exceptionally high quality. Sure. Um, so that gives us a lot of room to maneuver. Um, you know, uh, you know, we we now our, our portfolio is super broad. We got the five mash bills that go into a hundred and something different brands. Yes. Uh, and, um, you know, it gives us a, a place to play, but, you know, as we retire some of the older ones and bring out some newer expressions, um, you know, there's, there's, there's great room to maneuver there. Well, one last thing before we get you out of here. I, it, it's kind of hard to talk about Heaven Hill in this day and age without talking about bottled and bond expressions. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> because it, Heaven Hill is so synonymous right now with heaven, or excuse me, with bottled and bond. Yes. Bourbons. You, you you kind of cornered the market. We kind of have. I mean, there's I believe there's thirty ish bottled and bond products out yes. there, and we have well over ten. We've got twelve or fifteen of yes. them, and we're bringing out more. We even have we have a bottled and bond corn whiskey, we have a bottled and bond brandy, sacred bond, um, and of course all the bottled and bond 
bourbons and yes. whiskeys. Um, and, you know, uh, my friend and colleague, Bernie Lovers, who I'm sure you've met along the way. Yeah, friend of the he's, show. He's yeah. been on before. <laughs> he's and, awesome. Yeah. Um, but he's got a great phrase. The, uh, the bottle of bond are the, the Eagle Scouts of, yes. the, uh, of the bourbon portfolio. You know, you, you got to meet all the rules to call your whiskey bourbon. And then you got to do all these other things to make it bottle and bond. And uh, it just, it's... I don't think it quite has the same um, rationale as it did back in 1906 when they passed the, the law, but it's still, it's a, it's a very significant mark of quality and uh, a testament to our commitment to that quality that we keep on bringing out the bottle and bond uh, expressions. I, I, I guess the question that I was going to have, and I think you kind of answered a little bit, was, you know, it, does Heaven Hill still kind of remain committed to that standard of quality? Oh, 100 percent. Yes, I, I think yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, and again, that, that's. I mean, I, there are so many stories uh, that I've, I've come across even since I joined the company. I mean, the, the one that springs me to mind is the Heaven Hill 27-year-old we brought out yes. last year. We probably had three times as many barrels of 27-year-old whiskey as we actually bottled because the other two-thirds weren't worth bottling. <laughs> weren't that you good. Sure. They, they were over. Sure. I mean, bourbon technically shouldn't be 27 years old, but, you know, the, the, the bourbon gods align and we got one-third of the barrels that were worth bottling. And the others, we could have bottled them. The chances are they would have stayed on somebody's shelf in a box looking pretty, sure. but tasting like not good whiskey. Um, <laughs> so we're not going to risk our reputation for quality across the, you know, whether it's a $500 bottle or a $15 bottle, we're not going to uh, risk our reputation for quality and consistency Absolutely. just to make a fast bottle. Connor, I know that we have a thousand more avenues that we can go down yeah. to, to talk about this. We'll try to set up an interview later on where we can actually sure. sit down, try yeah. some of the whiskey, and, and really delve deep into it. But in the meantime, thank you so much You're for sitting down this, this Pleasure weekend. to be here it's, to meet you guys. Thank absolutely. you. Absolutely. It, it, it's been a real pleasure. Cool. So Thanks. here's to Heaven Hill and that future. Cheers. Thank you. <laughs> Well, this is exciting. Yeah, man. We have a returning guest to the podcast. No way. Kave from uh, Rabbit Hole. Guys, it's great to be here. I'm so happy that you uh, you, you managed to find your way back to us. Oh, after. my God. I, I wouldn't miss it, man. <laughs> See you guys again. This is awesome. <laughs> so I, I, I want to uh, brag on, on you guys a little bit. Um, since the last time I, I saw you, I have become more of a cigar smoker. And one of my favorite cigars, if not my favorite, has been the the Diesel Whiskey Row Rabbit Hole Cigar. And I absolutely adore that stick. I think it's fantastic. Thank you, man. Yeah. Uh, um, And I I think I, if I remember correctly, I just recently tried the new one, uh, the Sherry Cask one. Um, And, man, I tell you, well, That's shit, if fabulous. I, knew, as well. I would have brought you a couple of uh, <laughs> cigars. Yeah, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I might, I might have to go home and, and crack one out of my hum- yeah. humidor. But uh, there have been some really big things that have been happening for for Rabbit Hole since last year. Uh, we'll we'll start kind of small and, and work our way up. But the uh, I, I say small, it's not necessarily that small. Um, but uh, the the opening of the visitor center. Yeah, yeah. So we uh, opened up going. Uh, five, six days a week, actually starting last fall. Really, really excited. We actually are now trending towards 30,000 visitors, which is incredible. That's fantastic. Yeah. Wow. 
And I mean, I think that's a testament too to the the product. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah. it's it's the product, and I got to tell you, the distillery um, just shines. We also were named the uh, architectural icon of the Kentucky Bourbon Trail. Oh, so I'm fully really on board excited. With that. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, because it's very modern, the, the building, right? Like the visitor center? Yeah, it's modern, but more importantly, it's um, really embodiment of transparency, mm-hmm. and it's very immersive. So you come in, you're in the thick of it, you literally are lifted off the manufacturing Absolutely. floor, you see everything. Yeah. Also, speaking of the product, things have been changing for you all, too, on, on, on your production line. Uh, most memorably is you guys have, A, released a new high rye bourbon, and B, you've renamed everything. Yes, we have. On your line. <laughs> what an interesting way to, to approach a rebrand is, you know, you, you guys have done something that really, I don't know of anybody else having done. You, you've completely changed the identity of all the products on your brand. What kind of led to that, that idea, the inception of that idea? You know, we've been batting this around from early days. How do you distinguish different recipes of bourbon from one another? Because most consumers buy um, whiskey by the brand rather than um, the recipe. So it's not like wine or beer. So that designation is really was one of the things we were trying to, you know, um, solve that problem. And uh, we decided basically a basic formula, names that are tied to Louisville, so some kind of a provenance connection. Sure and uh, folks or things that have been source of inspiration for us, and that's where all these secondary names are coming from. Okay. And specifically, which, what did this, uh, the name come from? So what we have in front of us is yes. uh, our newest expression of uh, uh, Kentucky Straight Bourbon. It's the second bourbon recipe we have on the market. It is a high rye bourbon, so it's 70% corn, 25% malted rye, 5% malted barley. It's named after Christian Heigold. Christian Heigold was a a German immigrant stonemaker in the 1850s who made these beautiful, beautiful stone carvings all around the city um, as a as an expression of his love as a patriot immigrant for America. And we felt that uh, what a wonderful person to highlight because, you know, especially in this climate, it's lovely to be able to bring people together rather than be divisive. Yeah. Well, in and. I, I think so too. That it, it really does pay tribute to the whiskey makers before you. Um, malting was just a, a, a common practice in whiskey making before anybody ever came to America. And the fact that you have gone with a malted rye and malted barley—that is a really significant step that a lot of people in the whiskey making industry haven't necessarily made on this side of the pond. <laughs> yeah, thank I you. Thank, thank you for yeah. recognizing that. I Absolutely. Think, you know, we want to be on the forefront of uh, innovation, if you would, and I think that this is in our own small way uh, pushing the envelope because at the end of the day, all these recipes that we're making out of the distillery, we can't go buy it off the rack and blend it. For sure. These are unique, unique expressions, one of a kind. Well, and there's no, there's no way to innovate without honoring the past, without honoring everything that, that 100%. came before. I have already sipped. Oh, a bit yeah, of this? I was like sitting here um, This is really delicious. The finish on it is just straight, like, baking spices and, like, a, like a really good buttermilk biscuit. I, this, this is a very delicious pour. I'm a huge fan, anyway, of high rye bourbons. And I've recently kind of folded into it, it, discovering that I like malted rye as well. 
And this is no different. I think this is a fabulous, well, thank fabulous you. expression from you guys. It, it, it very well might be my favorite rabbit hole expression well, thank so you. That's, that's awesome. And this yeah. is one of the reasons I love talking with you guys, because you guys are poets. The way you talk about the <laughs> taste profile, I love it. <laughs> Well, we try to anyway. <laughs> we do try to. I mean, it, look, we are nothing if not honest on This Is My Bourbon Podcast. And we, we've had some crap. We have <laughs> had some really bad and stuff. And we, we've been very upfront about it. And, I, I mean, I, I'm very upfront by, by telling you that, honestly, this is my favorite rabbit hole yes. product. I can, I can taste... How this would go in so many different directions, uh, how it would stand up in a cocktail, um, how even a couple, you, you all are drinking it uh, with a couple of ice cubes as well. I can imagine that that would help it. You know, it, it would even stand up to that, even as the ice is kind of melting into it. I think that it just from the limited amount of time that I've had it so far, yeah. it seems like a really versatile product um, that may have not just been meant for sipping neat but for as many different avenues as people could have gone down yeah. uh, when incorporating bourbon. It's silky smooth. It absolutely like, is. I'm really getting a lot of like that biscuit that you kind of were talking about, or like kind of the allspice. Um, really enjoying that. There's a savory note that I'm really yeah, enjoying. That's have, you, have you picked up on that? Uh, like a Thanksgiving <laughs> dinner a little bit? This is music to my ear, guys. Oh, man. I, I, look, I'm going to go ahead and put the stamp of approval on this. I, I think that uh, the rabbit hole high gold is, is a very, very fantastic product. Now, what were you kind of going for this specifically? You know, part of it was how do you um, bring out different types of flavors of notes. So, you know, rye obviously is a spicier grain. So we were trying to see if we can go in that direction because if you guys remember, our first bourbon, which is the four grain, yes, also has 30% malted grains, but mm-hmm. very different because in that one you got malted wheats, um, right. Malted barley, honey malted barley. Uh, more on the kind of softer side, and we want to go a little bit more on the kind of traditional spicier side. Yeah. And that's what uh, directionally this was about. Yeah. I think it really shines through. I think this is quite successful Thank you. In, in the product. And I know that we're, we're sitting here singing the praises. And, <laughs> and I, I don't want to uh, speak too much for you either in, in terms of, you know, promoting the brand, but I, I do really think that... Um, this shines a good light on what the future of Rabbit Hole looks like. And, you know, I, I want to allow you a, a, a moment, Kabe, as well, to talk about where you see the world of Rabbit Hole developing in the future, because I think that you do have a very bright future ahead of you. With this well, first, thank you, guys. I Absolutely. Think, I think that um, the reason I got in this business was to make sure that we do something that's authentic and unique. That's part of the reason, as you guys know, I didn't go out there and just buy source liquid and blend it. No. I think there's wonderful blenders out there, and I pay a tremendous amount of respect for, for, to them. But for us, the challenge was, how do you lay down these unique recipes, and then you got to wait three, four years before you know right. what the heck's going to taste like. Yeah. But at the end of the day, the reason was because we wanted to be known for a brand that genuinely does something unique. You can't just go buy this somewhere else off the rack, off the shelf. You gotta come to Rabbit Hole. These are unique, one one of a kind bourbons. Well, I think that's why the waiting game is important too. Hundred percent. You know, um, and and I feel like a lot of the kind of newer brands or something like that. A lot of the time, they uh, don't. They want to get it to market too quick. And uh, I mean, the testament to Rabbit Hole on TV is 
Kabe, thank you so much for sitting down. Thank you, guys. It, it, it's a such pleasure. a treat to hear how everything is expanding for you all. I'm so excited for the future of Rabbit Hole as well. I'm excited uh, for uh, the next cigar on this one. Oh, yes. Are you guys oh, here tomorrow? Uh, we'll be here on Sunday. Yeah. Sunday. Sunday. Yes. I'm going to bring you some, some cigars right. for well, you. We would appreciate that. Lovely. Kabe, thank you Thanks so much. Again, Everybody go check out Rabbit Hole Distillery. Cheers, y'all. y'all here's the deal um i had a bit of a revelation as i was getting through editing this and that was that this episode was almost three hours long and i just simply cannot put you guys through that uh it just in terms of all of that audio content so here's what's going to happen this is going to be uh part one and on friday of this week you are actually going to be getting part two of the bourbon and beyond recap so, what you have listened to is the first, what, like hour, hour 15 of all the interviews, and you're going to get the rest of it uh, in two days' time. So, be on the lookout for that. Again, this was part one. Part two is going to be coming out on Friday. So, with that being said, thank you all so much for listening to the very first part of the 2019 Bourbon and Beyond recap. I really do appreciate you all tuning in for this let me run through real quick all the places that you can find us on social media and all that good stuff. Uh, that is at my bourbon pod on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Uh, please give us a like or a follow over there. That would be awesome. Leave us a five-star rate and review on iTunes, please. That does help us so much uh, to find new listeners of the show. And you can actually do that. If you didn't know this, you can do it right from the iTunes uh, podcast app. How cool is that? Uh, so all you have to do is just scroll down to the bottom and you'll be able to do that. If you have questions or comments, you can send them to thisismybourbonshop at gmail.com. We would be happy to answer them for you. Uh, we'll do that on the show here soon as well. So please, please, please send those in. We'd love to hear from you. If you have not yet joined our Facebook group, you can head to facebook.com and search for This is My Bourbon Group. Just a couple of questions for you to answer just so we can verify that you are, in fact, you. And then you get to be a part of a really fun little community where we talk bourbon and we talk about the podcast and we talk about all sorts of wild and fun things. Okay, maybe they're not that wild, but they are fun. And then last but not least, patreon.com slash podcast is where you can become a patron of the show for as little as a dollar a month. That really does help us out. Uh, keeps us going every single week. Uh, and in this case twice a week uh so how about that yeah uh like i said for as little as a dollar a month uh you can support the show that money goes towards uh editing of the podcast it goes to travel uh it goes to all sorts of different things uh that help make this podcast uh really fun and unique as to what it is and every bit of support that you can provide for us we do appreciate that does it for part one of the Bourbon and Beyond recap episode. Thank you all so much for tuning in. See you on Friday for the second half of it. Until then, I'm Perry, and this is my Bourbon Podcast. Mm-hmm.